who are new today. We're doing a series on Jonah. Sorry for my voice. It was uh, it was soccer Saturday. You know how those go when you're coaching your kids and there are butterflies wandering in the area and they're staring at the butterflies. You know, stay focused. You know, uh, if you've been with us, you know we covered a, a couple of chapters of Jonah, and Jonah is an amazing story about God's mercy and miracles. Uh, if you ever read it for a quiet time, it takes about 15 minutes to read, but it is a powerful demonstration of God's love for us. In Jonah 1, we learn something about rebellion. It's just simply saying no to God. And Jonah did not want to do something that God asked him to do. And he ran away. And number two, he gets, chapter 2, he gets swallowed by a giant fish. And he's in the belly of the fish. And yet... God is merciful because when he threw him over overboard, he thought he was dead. But God, uh, through his miraculous signs, grabbed the, the fish grabbed him. And now he puts him on the shores uh, near Nineveh where God wants him to go. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. You know, Jonah actually wrote this book of the Bible. He wrote it for his own countrymen. He wrote it for his own compadres because there was a lot of tension with the Ninevites. They were the, the, the superpower. They were taxing them financially. They were fighting them in, in little skirmishes. And there was a lot of emotions, a lot of hatred, and a lot of racism because they were not, quote-unquote, considered God's people. And so there was a, some tension there. So we can understand why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And this is where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 3. In verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And aren't you grateful for second chances? I know I'm very grateful to have a second chance after I've blown it with my children or with my wife. I'm so glad to have a second chance. And some of you right now are in that difficulty. You have, you have made a mistake and you have blown it and you're going, man, the, the consequences are overwhelming. And you wonder, can I come back? The answer is yes. You can come back. Because the word of God will come to you a second time. And God says in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, The message I tell you. It is the very same message. This is the very same message that Jonah rebelled from. And when God brings him back mercifully, guess where God takes him? Right back to the same message. You know, God's a God of second chances. But He'll take you back to the same place where you said no. He'll take you back there. And sometimes you want to ignore that. Saying, God, I don't think we can work this out. But it's not about us working it out. Usually God is right and I am wrong. That's pretty much the case in my experience with God. That He's right and I've been wrong. And when I realize that, things go much better for me. But God is not going to take, take you anywhere until you go back to the place where you said no and you deal with that. So in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey. And he called out. In 40 days. Nineveh 
shall be overthrown. Now you got to get the picture. He comes out of this belly of this fish with all those gastric juices. I mean, he looks incredibly disheveled. And he goes out there. He goes, I want you to say, this is the message. Now, we don't know exactly what God told him the message was in totality. But Jonah only utters eight different words. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. There was no, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. There's no, there's no hook. There's no pull in. There's no, let me just try to, you know, let's just have a conversation. Let's have a cup of coffee. He says, in 40 days, this whole place is gone. That's all he said. That was the message. That doesn't sound very encouraging. That doesn't sound very loving. But that was the message that Jonah uttered out of his mouth. You know, when I have a hard line message, usually I like to set it up. Some humor. Laugh a little bit. Then get you. Not Jonah. Jonah went straight. This is going to happen. And in verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Remember those Ninevites? Remember they, they had all the glory for themselves? They called for a fast. And they put on sackcloth. That's like goat hairs. It's a cloth that you wear, you wear when you want your outside to reflect your inside. From the greatest of them to the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robed, robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. That's the king of Nineveh who hears about what Jonah says. And he rises, and there's this moment where he takes off his glorious, majestic robe. He takes off his pride. He takes off that self-righteous attitude. And he puts on sackcloth. This smelly old thing of goat hair that's used to carry stuff. And he sits in ashes. The question is, why did he do that? He heard this and that's what he does. The answer is, I don't really know what was going on. God was doing something in their hearts. And when they heard that message, this was their response and their reaction. God was doing something that Jonah had no idea was happening. You know, it's like modern day sending one of the disciples to go into the Islamic state of Iraq and Syria and saying and delivering a message. That's who the Ninevites were. The Ninevites were actually, in fact, worse than what you see on the news. They just behead people. The Ninevites skinned you alive, buried you up to your neck, put a stake in your tongue, and watched you die of thirst. These guys have nothing on the ancients as far as brutality. And here is Jonah giving the message to go share with them the gospel. And God's called every one of us to do that. The reason why we don't is because we pick and choose who might be open. Now Jonah gave the message and all of a sudden, boom! Everyone was open. How about that? These words of Jonah seem so real and so urgent that the Ninevites actually changed. In verse 7, 
And the king issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. My goodness. Can you imagine the cows mooing when they're hungry? I know this because I play heyday. <laughs> and my, when I have to feed the cows, it's because they're, they're always mooing and mooing. And my phone goes, oh, the cows need some feeding. Imagine all the mooing. Imagine all the people wearing sackcloth. Imagine this picture of this empire literally in sackcloth and ashes. It wasn't a fashion statement. It was a sign that we see the words of God and it's changed us. We heard them. And he says, and let them, and the king goes, and let them call out mightily to God. Not only do we wear the sackcloth, but we call out to God. Yahweh Elohim. The crying out. And up until now, the only thing they've been boasting about is their mighty strength. Their mighty empire. How they stack the skulls of their enemies. How they take soldiers and put them on a pole, up alive, hanging them, impaling them, and showing the world that we will conquer you. There is no one that can stop us. And yet here they are in sackcloth and ashes. What a turn of events. And in verse 9, or 8b, Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from violence that is in his hands. This is the king. He's pulling a reversal. He's saying, let's not be violent anymore. There are violent people. Let's not do this no more. Let's turn from our ways. And then he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's the attitude of someone who gets it. That's the attitude of someone who goes, I hear, understand, I process the words of God. They are real. It's not just in this good little book. They're real. They're written to me. And he's just hearing about the prophet's words. And verse 10, when God saw what they did. doesn't say when God understood their intentions. It says when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that He said He would bring to do He would He would do on them. And He did not do it. Why? Because God overflows with compassion. He overflows with mercy. He never delights in judgment. He never delights in death of the wicked. Actually, God delights in mercy. You know, I love this picture of God. He gives Jonah another chance. He gives the Ninevites another chance. Because he's like a father. You know, when I'm really mad at one of my kids, and I burst out with some anger, as I did yesterday... I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken. And I'm able to go back and, and, and apologize and, and, and really see that, that what I caused. 
And just the, just the reconciliation is a moment I'll never forget. I'll never forget those moments of reconciliation. That's the kind of God we, we serve. It's the kind of God He is. I'm sad and broken over things I do. You know, if we would just poke a hole in the dam of our pride, God would burst through with mercy. He wants to burst through with mercy. A lot of times our pride won't allow God to work. So a couple things in this passage that I want to point out. Number one is, it's to show us how God pursues sinners. He pursued the righteous prophet who was sinning. He pursued him. He went to Joppa. I'm getting out of here. And God brought him back to where he said no. He pursues you. Sometimes God brings a storm in your life. Not to punish you, but to restore you. He's trying to bring you back. And you're wondering, why is this happening to me? Because God is bringing you to your knees so you'll come back. Just think about when you became a Christian. You became a Christian when you understood what you did to Jesus. It brought you to your knees. What should I do? And sometimes as Christians, God does that again to bring you to your knees. To say, look, come back to me. Number two. Third John is important because it contrasts the difference in God's heart for lost people and our heart for lost people. There's a difference. Jonah was like, uh, just like us, when we get mad or get in a fight or things aren't going well, I'm not sharing. I'm not inviting people. Things aren't going well. And Jonah runs. And God's like, no, no, it's okay. I want you to go after these people. These are the people that I want. God not just wants the Jewish people. He wants all nations. He wants everyone. That's the heart of God. Sometimes we like to share with people that we like. We prefer to, to share with. You know, on campus this week, I went out there, I'm, I'm going to share with people that I would normally, I would avoid on campus. This guy walking away, I'm like, oh, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't like the style of clothes he wears. I don't even want to see that at church. So I just avoid them. I'm just giving you the God's honest truth. I mean, you do it too. Amen. Right? So I go, and so I was walking with Josh and said, I got to share with that person. So he's like, oh, right. Cause, yeah, because I would never share with that guy normally. I'm going to go share with this person. I go share and I get completely ignored. And then there's one guy who looked, look, look, he looked like a Ninevite. I'm like, was a Ninevite here, modern day Ninevite? So I went up to him and I said, hey, want to come to church? And he was like, he looked me right. Usually the students just they look down, they look up, look sideways, they look this, like that. Uh huh. They get on the phone, awkward. And they just ignore me, usually. This guy looks me in the eye and says, I'm not religious, but thank you for your invitation. Shook my hand and walked away. I said, now there goes an upright man right there. These kids just ignore me on campus sometimes. Thirdly, Jonah gives you a glimpse of the real Savior. The true and better Jonah, which is Jesus. He's the, Jesus is, is the, Jonah is just the foreshadow of what Jesus was. But we get a true and a better Savior because it's only a glimpse of the real Savior. And fourthly, it's to show you how God uses people in the world. God uses people. Just the way people were able to help Robbie turn her life around. Her psychiatrist, Oprah's quote, her mother. A lot of things were in play there. And, and this brings up a good topic for us as a church. 
the word that we use to spread the gospel in the Greek is evangelism or the spreading of the good news. You know, I've heard a definition of evangelism this week. I read two very nervous people talking to each other. And that's true. When you're sharing with someone you don't know and you're kind of trying to invite, it's, it's too nervous. He's nervous because he's going, what are you trying to sell me? What do you want? He's holding his wallet. And you're like nervous going, is he open? I don't know, how, how am I going to say this? And most of us, we get paralyzed when it comes to being evangelistic. And you go, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say. And you're terrified of saying something wrong. Or creating some incredible, awkward, social moment there. You know, I've been in many awkward social moments when I share my faith. It is very awkward at the gas station. When I look over the, the ga- behind the gas pump. Hey, how's it going over there? Who does that? Right? Who does it? It's like, the guy wants to pump his gas and leave. Right? Or when I go up and, when, when students, I go up there and, they don't want. They know I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sell them a ski trip, trying to give them coupons. No, I'm just trying to invite you to a Bible discussion. And I get completely ignored. And it's very awkward when they go on their phone. Or when they're on their phone. That's what students do. They go on their phone so they don't have to talk to anybody. And so it's in there and I'm going, well, everyone's wearing them. So I have to share. I just, I just can't go, well, I can't share with them because they're not wearing it. So I just interrupt them. Hey, how's it going? They're like, and it's just really music. It's not like they're talking about it. Like, and I'm like, oh, he's not interested. And he's like, and he started to put it back in as I start talking. I'm like, oh, that's really awkward. Please don't do that to me. God uses normal people to do his work. You don't have to be a super spiritual person. And you could be an effective tool in helping God build something. Because disciples understand one thing that salvation comes from the Lord. And Jonah preached an eight-word sermon. And just to give you a little insight to the next, next week, his heart wasn't even in it. And it wasn't even a good sermon. Yet people responded massively in revival. Why? Because God is working in people's hearts and you just don't know that. The Bible teaches us that God works in people to bring them to repentance. God's doing the work. That's not something you can do. He's the one. God's the one that creates this this hunger, this sense of lostness, this, this, this desire of answering this question in their hearts. And He's the one that arranges the circumstances for you to meet these people. Because it says no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No man comes to God unless God knows about it. It's like you're finding an open person on your own. I found someone open. No, God had already been working in his life. To as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Who were born not of blood or, or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the one that stirs that heart right now who's not here on Sunday. He's thinking about God. He hasn't met you yet because you haven't gotten the bonds yet. But God is stirring him. He's stirred. He's going to go to the bakery section. And you need some bread. <laughs> and so there you are getting some bread. And he's stirred. And then you guys are in the same line together. You don't have no idea how sturdy he is. You have no clue how, how sad he is. You have no idea what God is doing in his heart. 
but you're in the same line. And unless you go, excuse me, because I, I can tell you when I meet open people, they're like, I've been praying for this. Yeah. I've been praying for someone to, to meet real Christians. For it is grace you have been saved through the faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. And then lastly, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. So you're not finding these open people. God has prepared them for you to meet them. There's a big difference. And it's not on you to convince them. Let me repeat that. It's not on you to convince them, although we'd like to think so. God does most of the convincing and the persuading. Because you can give the most finest presentation of a textbook sharing. Finest. Flawless. And I've done it many times. And the guy is totally unopened. And then I stumble, fumble, trip, give them the wrong location, wrong city, I'm messing everything up, wrong website, it's not, it's not, it's not, and they're calling me back wanting to come to church. Here's my great presentation, unopened, and here's my most worst presentation, and they're, they're wide open. Why is that? Because God is working in their life. It's not up to you. Sometimes I preach an amazing sermon in my own eyes, I'm like, that sermon was hot. I was mm, felt it, and then uh, the, the feedback was like, "Yeah, it was all right. It wasn't one of your best, but it was good." I'm like, and then I then I, I leave home going, "Why am I even in the ministry? It's a terrible lesson. I can't even preach." And I get phone calls telling me, "Bro, my heart was moved. God used you." Just just constant text messages, phone calls. Bro, it's amazing. I'm going, what gifts? Because it's God. You see, that takes a lot of pressure off me when I know God is doing it and working. People aren't converted by our eloquent speech or our persuasive powers of logic and reason. They're persuaded by the power of God, according to what He says. At the end of the day, we're not the ones dealing with the skeptics who need to be persuaded. It's God who does the persuasion. God does all the work for us. So in one sense, I want to encourage you to relax. The pressure's off. Just relax. The guy in the, in the bakery, he's ready. He's already been ready. He's like, he's like that manzana, that apple on the tree going, it's ready. It's ready. The only thing is you don't know that. That's why it's that's why it's so important to understand that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. You're hearing it now. You're God's instrument. You know, one of the most effective ways that God uses people to, to change, their, to change and, and know that God's calling them is when you show them the Word of God. People's hearts. It's like magical. When I sit down with someone instead of the Bible, them, all I'm doing is opening this Bible and, ex- and sharing them the scripture and ask them, what do you think that means for you? And as God just does this, this powerful. This, they're like, I want to change. I, I, I want to repent. I want to grow. I want to become a Christian. It's what I just opened the book and that's what happens. 
So here's what's important for you. The Word of God cannot do its work where people haven't heard it. A lot of times, we like this habit of, let's invite people to church. Well, they're getting that invitation by a lot of people. What if we just decided to open the Bible with them and says, hey, I just wanted to show you a scripture to encourage you for your day. You know, some guy tried that once, 20 years ago, and I got baptized. He didn't invite me to church. He didn't invite me to Bible talk. He says, have you ever read this passage in the Bible? And I was like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Which means that our objective is to get the Word of God into people's lives. And let them get into the presence of God's Word. Because God, and it's His work that does it. You know, our objective is not their salvation. Only God can do that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Our objective is to get them in the presence of the Word of God. Even if you're not doing well in your faith right now, if you were to get in the presence of the Word of God, it would change you. Just like it changed the Ninevites. Because God is at work all around. And there's one thing He will do only through us. And that is speak His words. We have the Bible. We have the words of God. He'll do that. If you open it up with people, people you're inviting to church who haven't come for years, open the Bible with them. Study with them. You know what's interesting? In Acts chapter 8, there's this eunuch on this chariot and Philip gets told to go to this desert road where no one's at, but he finds this, he finds this eunuch who's reading his Bible. And he goes, Hey! Hey! Do you understand what you're reading? Very insulting question to a guy who's in a chariot reading the Bible. He's like, No, I don't! What a shocker! This guy's an important official. He speaks probably multiple languages. He's smart. He's educated. He's reading the Bible. And then Philip you know, comes over, Hey man, do you know what you're reading? You know, that's like someone you ask, do you want to read and you you have a master's degree. Do you know how to read that? Like, yeah, I went to college, bro. He goes, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And then in Acts 10, there's this guy named Cornelius. He's praying and helping the poor and God sends him an angel. Then he sends him him Peter. Peter's on this other rooftop praying and he's having these visions about God and his kingdom and the new covenant and then God sends him over to Cornelius. And then there's Acts 9. There's Paul. He gets knocked off his horse. God speaks to him. And then God says, hey, I want you to go into the city and go see the disciples. See, God is the one that does the connecting. You just think you're going in for the store for, for some bread because your wife has nagged you long enough where you're finally going to go to the store or do this and she's nagged you and you finally had it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a good husband. And there you are at the store in the bakery line and there is that guy who is ready. Because God's done the work and God uses your wife to get you to go somewhere or that gas station. Excuse me. I notice you have a daughter in there. Betty Otter dance. Or whatever the situation, God has brought you there. So why do you fight that? You know what most, most guys do? We're in line stewing that we've had to, 
leave our television set to buy bread. We're like, and then we go in the store, leave the store, come home. Here's the bread. Fine, don't bother me for the next three hours. And God had set up that situation, but we totally missed it. We missed it. You know what God does again? He does it again with somebody else. That's what God does when someone's seeking Him. Because He says, if you seek me, you will find me. So God has to redo it again. Reshuffle. Okay. He does His magic. He does the work. And He finds some people. As Elsie shared yesterday, she screams out of that Catholic church, I need help. And there, Mike Blanda, would have me working along with a colleague of his, named Steve Marici, who is a disciple. And Steve could have kept the business. He could have kept the business. Let's keep it professional. I want to bring religion into work. He could have done that. But not Steve Marici. And lo and behold, he goes, yeah, we need help. Absolutely. Steve had no idea. We need help. That's how God works. <clears throat> Salvation belongs to the Lord. This should have a profound effect on your confidence. That it's not up to you. It's not up to your words and your fancy styles. Although we like to think so. God's done all the work. Just present the word. Get him in the presence of the word. So my encouragement to you is get the word of God into people's hands. Especially those who you've been reaching out to for a while, inviting. Get them into the word. See what it does to them. Very simple. And number two, you've got to pray like crazy. You've got to pray like it was your last day on earth. Thank you for your prayers for my Uncle Rolando. He breathed his last on Wednesday. Got diagnosed with stage 4 stomach cancer five and a half weeks ago. And now he's gone. So I appreciate your prayers and your thoughts for my, for my family. Uh, it was a very difficult few days for me because salvation was there. I was, I was awaiting. I baptized his granddaughter and his, and his, and his physical daughter into Christ uh, 17 years ago. <clears throat> and he knew who I am, what I stood for, and the grace and mercy that was there, but yet was not wanting to engage that. And that was difficult to witness. It was difficult to, to process. Um, but he's, he's gone now. And that was very, very hard. So thank you for your prayers for me. The bottom line of this, of this lesson is that Jesus even refers to Jonah in his ministry. When the people in Jesus' time says, they ask him a question, if you're the Messiah, give us a sign. And Jesus says this, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He says this about the Ninevites. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation, the one he's talking to at that time, the, the Pharisees, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Two things. Number one, Jesus says that fish was real, but it's not about the fish. It's about the repentance of Ninevites. It's about the repentance of someone you would never think would change. 
Sometimes we feel about that our spouses, right? My husband's never going to change. Well, you have encouragement from the Ninevites. That anyone can change. And don't be so haughty, because he might stand up in judgment of you on judgment day going, I am repented. And that's what he's saying. The Ninevites are going to stand up at the final day and say, you didn't believe. You had all those Old Testament writings, and you didn't believe. Ninevites, we had none, and we believed. That's the story of Jonah. Jonah stood in the way of the Ninevites' forgiveness. Are you standing in the way of people around you's opportunity for forgiveness? Are you standing in the way? Because we like to hide, we like to hide behind this word called, I'm just insecure. No, it's being prideful. It's a nice fancy word for pride. It's called insecurity. Do we stand in the way? Do we cling to worthless idols and forfeit the grace? Are we experiencing that grace that God gives us? So there's two things I want you to do this week. One, I want you to open the Bible with someone this week. Amen. Just open it. Maybe someone you've been sharing with. Maybe someone you haven't been sharing with. Maybe you're at the gas station and say, hey man, ever read this before? Or maybe you try something and say, hey, psst, psst, I got a secret. It's in the Bible. Whatever your little trickery, God's already done the work. So you can still try to do that, but you know that God's done the work. Open the Bible with people. Someone did that for me 20 years ago. Just open the Bible. And I was, wow, this is, this is amazing. Number two, I want you to pray like crazy. Pray as, it, as if it's your last day on earth. Pray. Pray for people that you're reaching out to. Pray for, pray for your parents. Pray for your brothers. Pray for, that's what, I, that's what I, this week I've been praying so much more for my family. It was just a reality check. Of they, they, they need to be saved. And it helped me. Maybe my uncle's death will bring life. I don't know. But I know that God's in control. God's a righteous judge, and I trust Him. Thanks for your time.